Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. What does love look like for you? What does love look like for you? Nothing says love to me more than espresso. And uh, I know some people bug me about that, but here, here, this is what happened. Last Father's Day, um, Father's Day off always lands on a Sunday, right? And so I was in our church gathering that day, and I think probably maybe we were still partly live streaming and stuff, more, leaning more into that. And so I remember I got home after church that day, and, and my family had gotten home ahead of me. And as I walked in, I noticed on the counter this like real live manual espresso machine. And I was like thrilled. Now you got to understand my love for, for coffee in this way. And my son had taken it out of the box and my daughter as well. And they set it all up for me. And uh, it was so awesome. Now I got to say this. It's not that they bought it for me, but they knew that it was in process and they helped me pull the trigger. And, uh, and then they set it up and then it like showed up on my counter. And it was just, it was just like one of the most beautiful expressions of love that I've ever felt. Um, you know, it was just great. Now there, there's other ways that you might feel like, like, like you, you, you know, you, you feel what love is or what love is tangible for you. For my wife, uh, there's a couple of journals that we all share in the home, one between her and my son and her and my daughter and her and myself. And so if we put a journal entry in that journal for her and we write a personal note on her birthday or Mother's Day or any time in the year, like that is like a tangible expression of love for my wife. Some of you feel that when like someone, you know, walks up to your door at your house and they just show up with some help. Maybe they know you're going to be painting or they know you need something and they show up with help at the door and that expresses love in tangible form to you. Last couple of weeks, we're in a series called Established in Love. And we've been talking about, as we started the series, knowing what that love is, not just any ordinary love, but the love of God the Father expressed in Christ Jesus, his son, through his life, death, and resurrection. But then going deeper in that last week, as we talked about being rooted in this idea of being beloved by God, hearing the voice of God as he even sh- uh, spoke over Jesus, but hearing that voice for us, that we're loved uh, by him. And, uh, and I want, today I want to move to like from knowing to actual loving to this idea like this verb you know the verb of what it means and 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 part of this series is teasing out clues in this first century letter to this church in Ephesus uh, about how Paul uh, not just encourages and, and helps them understand that they're rooted and established in love but these clues all over the letter and what that looks like and what that means and what that means in real life and uh, towards the end of the letter in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 he has this phrase and we partly read it last week but the phrase is is this. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life or live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God as beloved children, live a life of love as Christ loved us. So last week, we, we rooted ourselves in this identity as Christ followers that we're beloved children of God. Paul in chapter 1 talks about Jesus. He, he uses that title for Jesus, that Jesus was the beloved one. And he went back to, grabs that from the baptismal scene in Matthew chapter 3. And we got this sense last week as we're unpacking that, that we also in Christ are beloved children of God. But now Paul, he uses that word for us. 
Be imitators of God as beloved children. And Paul references this again. Imitate God as beloved children. Live a life of love as Christ loved. So we imitate God as his beloved children. We imitate Christ in the way he loved. And here's this big idea today I want you to get. And we're going to put it on the screen so just to help us remember this. If you are rooted in love, your life will overflow with love. Last week, the big idea was, you know, we will struggle to live in love unless we grow in love. And today, I just want to step one, one step further. If we're rooted in love, our life will overflow with love. And Paul noticed this for this church in this first century in Ephesus, this church that lived in a city that was very much like Montreal, a port city, a, a business city, a commercial city, a cultural city, a diverse city, a, a pluralistic city, even religiously. And here's this church community growing in the middle of that. And listen to what Paul says as he starts this letter off. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says this. He says, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing this letter to them, or it's a circular letter, gets to them as well, and he, like, news of them gets to him. And he says this, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. And I'll read it right off the text here. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Paul is, is blown away by a couple of key indicators in this church's life. And the first indicator is like, man, I've heard about your faith in Jesus. I've heard about how deeply committed you are and how faithful you are and how, and how connected you are to Christ. And I've heard about your love towards all the saints. So you got to understand, like, Paul's going to go on, like, in verse 16 and 17, he's going to pray for something significant, that, like, they would just gain this insight and wisdom to know who Jesus is. But if you catch this for a moment, this church plant, first century church plant, or this first century apostle, for him, love is a win. Love is like, oh, my, I've heard about your love towards all the saints, towards all of God's people. Love, faith, but also love has been, is this indicator, this marker for Paul, this reflection of conversion, of transformation, of change in their lives. And he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you because I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love. And he says it like this, for your love for all the saints, or maybe a version of yours might say for all God's people or all God's holy people. Now, when we read a phrase like that, we might, think, we might think that that's like a big grandiose phrase. You know, your love for all God's holy people. Your love for all, especially when you use the word saints, kind of feels like, you know, like the global church around the world. But when he says your love, he's talking about the people he's writing to. And when he says the saints or God's holy people, he's also talking about the people he's writing to. He's talking about them together. It could include how they've helped, you know, the church. Maybe there was a famine in another city and they sent money. It, it, could, it could mean how they, they leaned into their local food bank. That didn't exist at the time. You know, the church became part of the local food bank. It could have been how they, they leaned into, you know, youth in their city. It could have been this regional worship night with Galatia and Ephesus and Colossae. No, it probably didn't happen. I'm sure that didn't happen. No, what's he saying? He's saying that the heart of what this means is the church's love for the church. That their, their love for each other. Later in verse 23, he calls the church the body of Christ. 
this family, this body connected to Jesus. So it's too easy when we read a phrase like that, all the saints, to think the big global theoretical church. When we, when we read a phrase like that, we think, oh, this is, like, this is like the big universal church. This is the big global church. Oh, they must love like all Christians everywhere. And could feel very theoretical, very, very much like a book description, but it's really not. It's really small and local and practical. It's their love for each other, small ways, in local ways, in practical ways. Your love for each other. You could easily read that phrase, I've heard about your love for each other, because he's speaking to the church about their love for the church. And how is this happening? It's happening because people that have been rooted and established in God's love have become a community that loves each other. People who have been rooted and established in love have become a a community that loves each other. I wrote it this way on the screen to help us grasp it. People who have experienced love vertically are now expressing love horizontally. People, a people, a group, this community who've experienced love vertically with God the Father in Christ Jesus are now expressing that love horizontally with the people around them in small, local, practical ways. What does this look like on the ground? I mean, Paul will reference a few things here, and there's so many parts of Ephesians we can maybe lean into, and I was so tempted to, like, just go on and on with, like, a whole bunch of stuff, but you guys would not be happy if we, like, you know, were here, you know, till 1 o'clock. But here, here, here's, the one, here's the one thing. This one idea here, it's in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, and it's this one word, and I'll, I'll read it first and then see if you, if you catch it. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So here's Paul, right? He's writing this letter. Normally there's this, we understand this shift take place in chapter four because Paul's sharing these big ideas in chapters one to three and then he gets really kind of like practical and, and, and life application in chapters four to six and there's a shift here. He's talking about their calling in Christ, their calling and faith, their vocation, what it means to, to follow Jesus. And it's all wrapped up into this idea of being uni- unified as the church. And he uses words like one baptism and one faith and one spirit and one calling and one Lord, right? Like you get this sense that, that, that what it means, like if we're going to live into this calling and if we're really called towards something, part of that is that we're this united family of God in Christ Jesus. So the, Jesus and the church aren't separated, And like coming to know Jesus or follow Jesus is not separated from what it means to be part of the church and vice versa. You can't be connected to Jesus without being connected to the church. And I know sometimes people say stuff like, I love Jesus, but man, the church just gets me nervous sometimes. (laughs) Or I'm so into Jesus, but I'm not into the church. And you hear stuff like that, right? Because sometimes the church is messy and the church is like a family and no families are perfect, right? If you're from a family, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so some people might say that, right? They might say, like, man, I love Franca Manifold, but her family sometimes, holy cow, her husband, man, man, he's just, he's a wreck. Right? So we can, that can sometimes happen. And so the church and its messiness and its failures at times, but we can't disconnect Jesus from the church. You know, COVID, this COVID era that we've been in and still in has interrupted this idea of Jesus and the church being inseparable. It's like we can now be the church in our living rooms, right? And, and, and for good reason, like when, you know, last several months and even over the year, like even our kids ministry prepared packets so our kids uh, could, you know, be at home and stay connected to one another and to the church. And, but like the reality is, is that long term, you know, like some people in a home watching a live stream with their kids doing a craft on the side is, 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 is helpful, is important in the moment, but it's not the long term replacement of what it means to church, right? What it means to be the church. Consuming content or the church being an internet channel or a Facebook page or a YouTube channel is not what Paul is talking about when he says, I've heard about your love for all of God's holy people. He's not talking about that because you can't love through the screen. You can't love through a packet. You can't, no one's going to hear about that because it's not possible to have that intangible form. And it's COVID has interrupted, interrupted or stalled our connection relationally. And I'm so grateful for technology. I'm so grateful for technology. And those of you guys who are watching from, from home, which is awesome, but it's never a replacement. And so here, as Paul helps us understand how we're called to love one another, he uses this phrase right in this middle here. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Did you catch the word? What's the word? Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. What does it mean to bear with? Maybe this week you're in a grocery line and there was a wonderful older lady or older man maybe, you know, but I'm just thinking of an older lady in front of you and, you know, taking out each penny to pay her grocery bill. And you're like, what, how long am I, like what's happening? Or someone's like complained about three items and now everyone in the store is like fulfilling this need and you're three people behind them and you're like, and the person with you is like, just bear with it. It's okay, just bear with it. You'll get through this. Just bear with this, this situation. They need help, right? That's kind of what, maybe what we think of, right? When Paul uses the word bear with, we know exactly what it means. It implies there's a reason to bear with people. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't the case. He wouldn't say bear with one another in love if there was never a reason to bear with one another in love, right? And so that's just what happens. That, that, that's the reality of what this word means. And in the process of living out our calling like Paul is calling us to or our vocation as a church, relationships get messy and relationships get prickly and, 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 and it requires effort. And whether it's a family or a church family, bearing with means exactly what it means. You bear with something that you don't really love or would prefer or would choose to bear with love means that and I'm going to go back to my espresso machine not to like over and inundate you with coffee but this espresso machine for my wife is nothing more than clutter on a free counter like my wife's vision of a good kitchen is nothing on the counter but now I have this like 
this piece of machinery and this other piece of machinery with smaller little things on the counter, so much so that she's put other stuff underneath the counter so the rest of the counter stays clear. And, and when people ask her about it, she, she, she kind of jokes about it, but she calls it her Coke machine, not the drug, but the pop, okay? And so she's like, yeah, it's a Coke machine. I don't drink Coke. Do you, do you have, I don't, that's why I don't have a Coke machine on my counter because I don't drink Coke. What she's saying is, I'm never going to use this machine, <laughs> but it's on my counter because Dave lives in this house. And so, <laughs> so out of love, right? Out of love, she's bearing with me, <laughs> right? She's bearing with me. And I bear with her because she doesn't understand the value of, of this beautiful product. And she hasn't been enlightened yet to the, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to like just so trash for that. But, but we get what bearing with means, right? It's the appropriate word to use when you unpack what it means to live a life of love with other people. And often you're the cause of other people bearing with you, even though you also bear with them. Now, to be 100% honest, my wife bears with me in very serious ways. Areas that I've been slow to grow, seasons of setback, moments of grief or loss, characteristics that she knew she was marrying into and she thought would be cleared up in a few years but are still lingering, right? That's what it means to bear with. And so to bear with means two things primarily. It means carrying a load for someone or carrying a load with someone. Sometimes in wisdom you carry a load for someone only so long and say, hey, now you got to you figure out how to carry it yourself. But carrying a load with someone as well is part of that. You carry a burden or you get through a journey or you work through an obstacle or you sit through a breakup with a friend. You grieve through a loss. I remember years ago when I was 18 and playing with some musicians and our drummer, his brother died um, immediately with a brain aneurysm. And later that summer, a uh, month or a couple of months after, we were still playing together. And I never forget, like after practice one day, I went to his house. The entrance was dark. We just sat on the stairs for like an hour and a half, super quiet. And it was just, just to be with him. I wasn't bearing anything, anything that he's wronged me. No, I was bearing with him, this, carrying this burden with him, right? Just sitting with him. We're coming up to the first year anniversary of my sister-in-law's death this coming month. And um, what it meant to, like, carry that burden with her as she was still alive and with my brother and his kids. And my wife particularly had gone down a couple of times just tangibly to be present, to bear with them, not just for 30 minutes or 90 minutes, but for days, a couple of days and, and a week or so. Because it's bearing with is carrying the load for or with someone. It's helping someone manage a change in their life. It's, it's maybe helping someone through a season of, of debt and figuring that out. So it's, it's carrying a load with or for someone, but it's also patiently dealing with someone, right? They're dealing with their personality. I know, I know that right now you're like, you re, you're telling me there's, you're only thinking of other people's personality. You're not thinking of your own. But, but 
bearing with is dealing with someone's personality or someone dealing with your personality or the disparities of what that means in a community or in a relationship. What's a disparity? A disparity is if you gave me $100 and you took $100, we would spend it differently. So we have a disparity there. I might, I might spend it on coffee and you might spend it on golf. If we both went on vacation, the disparity would be that you might want to chill in the hotel for four hours and I might want to go tour the city. And now we have a disparity. So we're bearing with one another, right? Leadership style in an, in an organization or in a community is bearing with one another, patiently dealing with someone with their gifts or, or their weaknesses. And you know, when I think of the season we're in, something that COVID has done indirectly, you know, that wasn't the purpose but it's given all of us opportunity to learn to bear with people, to learn to bear with each other in love. Like saying, how so? Well, I mean, we just see it. We see it in the news. We see it in the discussions. We see it in the conversations. We see it in the differences of opinions. We see it in the, the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers and the, and the ones that are open to passports and the ones that, that are, are against it or where in between and all that kind of stuff and, and how much guidelines do we follow and not. And COVID has literally given us an opportunity to learn to bear with people, with each other, because there's a variety of opinions and a variety of experiences, right? And so this opportunity, specifically during this season, has given us opportunity to practically bear with people. If someone's sick, if someone uh, has a COVID-related burden, which could mean anxiety, fatigue, nervousness, whatever, loneliness... So now it's given us an opportunity. It's given you an opportunity to bear with someone through that. But it's also, interestingly enough, given us an opportunity to bear with each other's personalities because there's so many differences with COVID. So many different opinions. So much polarization. And we just see it in all the conversations. The opinion on vaccines. The opinion on passports. What if we just stopped and said, Lord, you know, because we got to really be careful that we don't assume that God agrees with our opinion, right? That God agrees with our version of science or our science or whatever, right? Like, but what if we just put that for us off to the side for a second? Because I, I'm human. I have an opinion like, opinion like you all do. And we just put that to the side for a second and said, how can I learn to bear with the person who is reading this narrative differently? How can I learn to bear with this person who is looking at the vaccine through a different lens than I am? Or looking at restrictions through a different lens than I am? How can, we, how can I just step back and say, Lord, show me how to grow in bearing with each other in love? Now, it's easy on Facebook or on social media to like talk this way because we're never going to see the people. But here we are, like in this room, there's a variety of opinions. And if we went on to the lobby and we threw out like a, a fun discussion question about this, we would probably erupt in different uh, opinions, <laughs> right? How do we learn to bear with one another in the middle of that? And I'm not saying that there's not some kind of a way that we can guide each other, but I'm saying that, that, that if we really look at this in this context... God's giving us an opportunity to bear with one another in love. And here, see, because Paul doesn't just say bear with each other. He says bear 
with each other in love. There's a reason for that because love, like out of love, when you're rooted in love and you have love for each other, that leads you to bear with each other differently, right? And so we have to figure out what that means inside community and not just outside community. And what the, look at the words Paul uses to support this practice. He uses words like, like humility, right? With all humi- humility and gentleness, or maybe a version says the word meekness, with patience, bear with one another in love. This is, this is the posture that Paul's calling us to, the New Testament's calling us to, that's necessary to love well. It's the posture of humility and gentleness and meekness and patience. You can't love, like, my wife can't love me well if she's not patient with the fact that she, there's something on our counter that she would not prefer. Right? She can't. She, that's the only way to do it is in love. And, vice, and, and, and then all the other stuff. And, and then there's others. It's just how we work that out. This, we need this posture. And so love, if we're rooted in love and we ask the question, what does love look like? Then it, it, it overflows into this practice, this commitment to this practice. And, and Paul roots it right into our calling as Christians, right into our calling and what it means to be Christ followers. You know, when he says, I, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling you've been called to, to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's part of our calling. Love is a commitment to this practice and it helps us fulfill our calling to Christ and to one another and to maintain and cultivate a unity that you didn't create or I didn't create. We didn't, we didn't say, when we became part of the church, we didn't create a list of things that we would be united to. That was beyond us. That came through one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father who is over all and in all. Right? That's the unity we're called to. And over centuries, the church also helped us understand things through creeds and things like that, what we could be united with. But that's not a unity you created or I created. That's a unity that's already existing and a divine gift of the Spirit that now we are called to maintain and cultivate and cherish. One, one author, his name is Ralph Martin, he says this, that unity is a divine gift that is cultivated and cherished as Christians live together in harmonious relationships. And that harmonious part is the part that needs the, the effort of cultivating, right, and maintaining. As Christians live together in harmonious relationships, we get to cultivate and cherish this divine gift of unity. And Paul says one way to do that is learning to bear with one another in love. And it takes humility and meekness and gentleness. So here's my, just a question as we come towards a close here. How are you, how am I living a life of love? And just for now, not the world, in the church. How are you and I living a life of love in the church? And I think part of it is meeting practical needs. And part of it is working through personality traits. Those are the two biggies. It's a practical need. We can learn to share our needs with one another so people can bear with us, carry with us certain things, certain journeys of our lives, but we also become people who meet needs around us, who meet one another's needs. So we're meeting practical needs, but we're also working through personality traits because in relationship, we're in relationship with people that are different than us, and we work with people who are different than us, and we, we serve with people who are different with us, and we learn from people who are different with us, and we grow by loving them in their difference. 
And think about what Paul said earlier, right? Or later in, in chapter five, as Christ loved us. Live a life of love as Christ loved us. We're most like Christ when we do this. Why? Because Christ came meeting our spiritual and practical needs and Christ incarnated into a place and space that was so different than him. You think Jesus didn't have different opinions of his society when he showed up? You think Jesus didn't have different opinions and the disciples didn't have different opinions when they were working this out together? You think there were things that Jesus, if he wanted to in just a snap change because it's like, this is my preference and this is my preference? Obviously, he's the king of kings. He could. It wasn't only that Jesus loved us in his death. He loved us in his life. He lived with tax collectors and local fishermen and doctors and students and men and women. And, and he, 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 he lived life with these people and, then he, and he loved with them. And he loved them through grief and pain and obstacles and injustice and all kinds of things in their lives because they learned to bear with one another in love. And I think why for me, I was trying to discern like what's the most practical thing these days that we can really think of. And I, I believe it is how we're walking through this season with COVID. I mean, there's other stuff in your life, don't, in our lives, and that are going to like throw a wrench in our church community, throw a wrench in our relationships. But COVID has reminded us that we can sink into isolation and we can sink into irritation so easily. Think about those two things. COVID has made us more isolated and more irritated than we've ever been. And, and, and I get it, it's, I, and I, we understand why. And if we're honest, we've done both of those things. But don't let that rob us, rob you of unity and community and relationships. And he, here's this fresh call to us today. If we're rooted and established in love, if as Paul prays, for us that, that, that you know, our inner beings would be strengthened so Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith as we are rooted and established in love. If, if we're rooted and established in love, then we must allow that to overflow with love for one another in tangible ways, even in bearing with each other when we're called to and how we're called to. And the reason is that the community that the Spirit builds in us is different than the communities the world builds. We're not built on affinities. We're not built on preferences. The church is not built on, on uh, you, know, uh, you know, like, I don't know what I'm trying to figure out, how, how I want to describe this, but if it's only preferences or affinities and age groups and styles and uh, all that kind of stuff, then, I mean... We don't need to bear with one another. But the church is built around Jesus and who he is and our call to be his body. And then all the variety of who we are, now we're called to bear with one another and grow in that way. So I want to call us towards that in a fresh way. And as we continue this series, just for one or two more weeks, just allow the spirit to work in us in that way. Amen? Sound like a fresh, important call? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... um, want to be reminded and be so clear in our minds and hearts what it means to be rooted and established in love, what it means to have our identity in you. But God, we also, we want to be open, Lord, that we have also participated in nurturing isolation, in feeling irritation, in responding in these ways. 
And we know that in some ways it's been an outside moment that has erupted this in many of us. But we also recognize that it's exposed and enhanced certain parts of our character that have already been there. And God, we just want to be honest with you in this moment. That at times we've also been contributors to isolation and irritation. That our knee-jerk reaction has been disconnection. Has been playing it safe in a bubble or echo chamber that just shares our preferences. But God, you call us to be a different kind of community. You call us to be the body of Christ, reflecting the life and death of Jesus. Oh God, if we're rooted and established in your love, then empower us by your spirit to respond, to grow into the kind of people in real life scenarios who will respond and react and bear with and care for and love alongside each other, even in our differences. As we claim to have one hope and one faith and one Lord and one baptism and one spirit, and you, our Heavenly Father, one God, over all and in all. May that be the core of our focus. And may we lean in to one another out of that unity that you've already given us by a beautiful divine gift in Christ and the love that you've invited us into through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.